Hey guys, so it's Jerome Paul, back for our next session on Galatians. So Paul, last time we talked a bit about Galatians 1, kind of going into 2 a bit, about this whole other gospel that Paul's quite upset about. And so today we want to talk a bit more about that, just what it was that was making him so upset. And maybe before we do this, though, I'm just looking at Galatians 2 here, and I think people might be interested to hear a bit about your thoughts. I think you mentioned this briefly last time, um, but on Paul opposing Peter and the whole dynamic there um, at Antioch. What are your thoughts on that? Like, Do you have any, like, do you kind of envision what this combination of personalities would have looked like? Or what are your, I'm curious to hear your thoughts a bit. Yeah, it must have been it must have been quite a um, awkward scene, and and of course in a culture like this, this is a pretty shameful. Uh, Paul is sort of publicly shaming Peter, uh, mm-hmm. so this is this is not this is so not uh, not cool. Let's just to use technical terminology. Right. Um, you know, you have a you have a this is a and Paul goes out of his way to say this was in public. This was uh, in, what does it say like in front of all of them or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, that he saw Peter sort of reneging on um, the the agreement that um, Gentiles don't need to follow Torah that that they that you know they could be accepted into the family whatever and and Paul thinks this is this is disastrous for the unity of the church and more deeply for what it really means uh, to be saved to be swept into the the age to come to be delivered from the present evil age, that this comes about through Jesus, through trusting in Jesus and not through, not through Torah. Mm. Um, So for Paul, this is a, this is going backwards into the present evil age, the days of waiting, the days of wandering around, like um, not being able to be free from sin and stuff like that. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. We don't go back there. Salvation comes through Jesus alone and not through, not through, the sort of the era of Moses and and the law that could never free us from this stuff, mm, right? So he's irate, and it seems it seems that Peter graciously, I mean, you know, it seems that Peter graciously um, takes this. So I think it's a, it says something good about Peter's maturity, sure. probably. Yeah, it's kind of it's interesting for me because it's not the um, we can't all have, all have this image of Peter as this very bold kind of. Um, in your face type of guy, and um, but do do you think he was intimidated simply by the the people there, the 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 Jewish brethren that were kind of going this other way, or what was it that made him easily swayed by this? That Paul had to be the one kind of calling him out there. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, like Paul talks about his hypocrisy and stuff. It's, sure. And so it's not like obviously it's not that Peter fundamentally agreed right. with them, but um, you know, anyone in a <laughs> dealing with large groups of people feels the tug and the pulls and sure. the tensions of different factions and groups mm-hmm. and wanting to keep the peace and wanting to not cause trouble and feeling a very close connection maybe, you know, through ethnic background to some of these people and stuff, um, not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting it, all sorts of things right. like that. Um, so it probably was just mm-hmm. along those lines, I'm guessing. Right. I mean, we can picture ourselves doing stuff like well, that. Well, sure. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's it's easy to imagine it it happening. It's just and what you know, it doesn't for it doesn't look that bad on the surface. It's well, like sure. so what he'll eat he'll eat with them. He'll eat at right. a different table. Yeah, I I do wonder what Paul was like in those kind of situations. I think kind of more what I'm thinking of is is we have this image of Peter as being more this aggressive mm-hmm. bold guy, and then Paul is the one that's saying he's of no great speech and all that kind of thing. So it's kind of interesting to see. I, I wonder what that would have looked like to see Peter confronted by. By Paul, would this have been a pretty aggressive? I guess we can't really. Yeah, you know, uh, but, I, but if we're thinking of you know stained glass window or or sort of like a very calm Paul right. just standing up thing saying, "Brother, you know, I think you should reconsider <laughs> this. I think right. I think we have a we don't have the right picture. I right, think it was exactly. it's probably quite a yeah quite a stare." Hmm. All right. Well, did you have anything else we should? Go over on chapter two, or should we move over to chapter three? Well, I, I think there's so much in chapter three, um, so many very fascinating questions. Sure. And that's where we see this incredible um, claim, this kind of jarring statement right at the beginning. Yeah. The stupid Galatians. You, yeah, 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 you you stupid Galatians. <laughs> One of the, I think, so the, the, the question I always ask is, why, ask people, is so Paul says, okay, let me ask you this question in, in verse two, and then mm-hmm. he's like, I mean, what he could have asked a number of questions, right? Like he could have asked, um, did you did you uh, put your faith in Jesus after a long, uh, you know, years of teaching uh, about the Torah, or th- when you heard the gospel? He could have asked right. them, did you get baptized? Um, like, what were the conditions for baptism? Like, but why does he ask about the spirit? Hmm. This is super important because it connects to what we were talking about before about um, the present evil age, the age to come, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the spirit, what Paul is saying is not just like, it's not an interchangeable. He couldn't have asked those other questions I posed. The spirit is is the question, that the right question to ask because the spirit is the sign of that the age to come has arrived. So that's this is what's going on in Acts 2, right? Mm. Where the spirit is given and 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 Peter stands up and says, "Aha, this is what Joel and the prophets said would happen that someday, you know, this this new day would dawn and the spirit would be poured out on God's people." And uh, then we see later in Acts where where Peter is with Cornelius and lo and behold, Cornelius the Gentile and his and his crew receive the spirit, and Peter's like, "Oh, wait a minute! He has the spirit. That means mm. that they that he's part of the the age to come, right? Like he's been brought in." So what Pete, what Paul's saying is, "Look, you have the spirit, which means that, and their manifestations and such that there were there was you know evidence that they had the spirit. Uh, so if you have the spirit, that means that you are in the sure. es- you're part of the age to come. You're part of the new people of God, and if that's the case." You have the proof you need, like mm. that you're in. So why in the world would you do other stuff? Like go back, go back to the the Torah, the the old, the present evil age, the stuff that was part of the old age, mm. and try to do more things um, right. to to be in. But you don't need to do that because yeah. you have the proof already. You're you're in hmm. the new the age to come. So a question I have about Galatians in general that that was very much on my mind when I was looking at it few months ago. How much of this here, I mean, clearly the immediate context is um, in relating to the, the Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then 
I think today, obviously, certainly in our churches, we aren't seeing people that are going back to the Torah itself right. and trying to follow it. Yeah, no, no. Most people, most people are not going around saying, "Hey, I think everyone in our church needs to make sure they're circumcised." Or something right, like exactly. That, which is good. Yeah, but that might not be the end of the story. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. So the the, the application question is like so. Yeah. You know, when you start studying a letter like this, you realize that so much of what it says is really is so different and alien to our own time and place. Um, I think we often think of the Bible as being very immediately, like, sort of talking to us, to our mm-hmm. time and place. Um, and it is, but it's not. Like, mm. and I think so. I think what I what I what I try to push people to do is first understand what it meant in its historical setting. Mm-hmm. And application comes after only after you deeply understand what it meant then. Um, it's dangerous to, to try to jump too quickly to application because given the distance, the cultural distance, the time difference, the, the situational differences, <laughs> you can very easily sort of misapply or not get deeply the point that Paul was, Paul was getting at if you don't think long and hard about what, what, Paul, why, what Paul meant by what he said and wh- what the effect it was supposed to have on, the, on his the churches. So that's sort of my first thing. But then, like, okay, so after that, um, Paul goes on to, like, he's, like, saying all, all sorts of things about um, the Torah and acting as though, you know, why would anyone want to go back to that? Um, mm-hmm. This is not, this is basically w- what separates Paul from his contemporaries, like I was talking about before, is not the dichotomy of the present evil age and the age to come. But one of the big things that separates him is that Paul, alone among the Jews, um, puts the Torah into the present evil age slot. Ah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, and that is shocking. We can read, I, I read some to my class this past semester, excerpts from um, letters, not letters, uh, documents from the Qumran community where they they speak of how, uh, you know, in the age to come and stuff, God's people will fully obey Torah. Like, Mm. that's one of the things. But Paul's like, no, actually, Torah is part of the present evil age, Uh. right? And so that's, that's, uh, that, that idea dominates the letter. And for him, it's, being led by the Spirit that lead that that is the thing that guides Christians, not um, not Torah. In Galatians, he says other things. He's especially negative on Torah in Galatians um, because of this specific situation he's dealing right. with. So when we when we look at this, none of like you said, none of us are you know trying to follow Torah. But I think one one specific thing that we can keep in mind is, um, you know, if Paul like if if there was any group that ever had the Sort of a, a right or um, a good reason to demand um, adherence to certain regulations or rules or whatever. It was Jewish Torah followers because that actually was the one bit of regulations and such that was actually given by God. Right. And if Paul is insistent that no, anything that um, Anything that's added to faith and trusting in Messiah Jesus um, for uh, for salvation and for recognition, full participation in the community of faith, um, you know, is is terrible and is actually a, a detraction and a denial of 
uh, of the gospel. You know, if he could say that about God-given Torah, then how much more mm. should we be really, really reticent to do that ourselves about th- rules and things that we make up? Sure. So I think that's one area that we can we can start thinking about. Right. Right. Yeah, I think I think the question again is how much of this is specifically Torah related because I feel like a lot of people today kind of taking some steps that would seem quite similar to those that were that were trying to follow the Torah right. but just from their own reading into or far-fetched just made um, extrapolations made of things that they think is coming from the New Testament. Yeah. And they would feel like, well, this wouldn't apply to us because, you know, well, I'm just trying to follow um, the the spirit of what's what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it, I think that's where it gets a, a little trickier does. for us. But this is where I think a deep understanding of why Paul was so upset and the teaching he has here about faith and um, about Jesus' death and resurrect Jesus' death for us, uh, atoning death and stuff like that, and the giving of the Spirit is like really understanding that is really is so important because because you're right. One of the most difficult question, difficult questions is so what about things that are commanded in the New Testament? Right, right. Um, but I think, uh, and that that is a, that is a tough question. I think I think though that if you Studying Galatians, I think, would lead us to say, to say this that that what really, so what he says in chapter in later on chapters five six, um, he has these statements: what circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't doesn't matter, but in chapter five he says what matters is faith that works through love. Mm. In chapter six he says what matters is new creation. Um, he. The giving of the Spirit and being led by the Spirit in, you know, the fruits of the Spirit in chapter 5 and away from the works of the flesh, um, those are the markers of being a Christian for Paul. Right. Those are the markers that that you're in. Um, not so, – so I think those are the – those are really the, the, the sort of the litmus test or the boundaries that we should set. Um, trusting in Jesus – and then evidence that the, that the person a person has the spirit, right? Right, and that is very very different from. I think that this needs to be differentiated from. Does someone else's interpretation of the New Testament match my own? Every New Testament passage match mm, my own. Sure. So it's very different if somebody says, "Look, I, th- I and I'm not going to mention, mention any specifics because you know, right. too controversial." But I don't think that. Look, I believe that the New Testament tells me I, ne- I should do X. But I don't really want to do it. Mm. So, like, because that that demonstrate that's a little scary. Because that right. dem- that's, that's implies something that something's wrong in the person's heart that would lead me to to, to say, wait, do, are you really trusting Jesus? Like, uh-huh. do you have evidence of the Spirit? But that's very very different from someone who says, you know what, I I really have a different interpretation of this passage. Mm. Right? That says nothing about their heart at all. Mm. Um, they are they may be a very godly person, and. Have the fruits of you know evidence of the spirit and are trusting Jesus, but we happen to come out on different places, and so those are the things that while there's there's questions about like how do we work together and should we have maybe we need to be part of separate groups of churches and that sort of thing, right? Um, but we have to fully accept people. Um, I think we cannot we can't use things like that as a 
a boundary of what we who we say is truly in and and truly not in. Right. So I think I think the concern in, in the opposite direction, and I think this is something we see qu- quite quite frequently today, is would be people claiming to be walking in the spirit that then are not showing any fruit of the spirit. So like we we do need to have something going on here more than simply someone claiming to have some amount of the spirit in their life to, to be able to, to judge appropriately. Oh, of course. But I think Paul's concern, so this is another, this is another, another question of, um, so probably it's very likely that the opponents in Galatians were, were one of their concerns was like, seriously, you're going to take all these Gentile, like recently pagan people. And then you're going to tell them that, <laughs> That no, they don't have to follow Torah. Well, right. what exactly is going to be their? They need guidance, for right. goodness sakes, right? And Paul says, "Yeah, they do, um, but that's gonna. The Spirit is gonna lead them, mm. and and so like he obviously believes very strongly in instruction. He believes even that the Torah is very important for wisdom and for for instruction, and righteousness, and all that kind of stuff. Right. But we're not not bound to it in in the way that the opponents thought that they were. Uh-huh. So Paul is very concerned in Galatians that people obey, that they sow to the Spirit, they, otherwise they will not reap eternal life, that they do not walk after the flesh, and he has a list of sins, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, if you do that, you're not inheriting the right. kingdom of God. Like, he's very concerned about that sort, sort of thing. So Paul's just as concerned. Like, I feel like sometimes people almost think that they're more concerned about making sure people are walking in godliness than Paul was. But that's not the case. Like Paul was extremely, Paul's stuff on justification by faith uh, in no way implies that he doesn't care about people living God and godly lives. He absolutely does. And he doesn't see there any, there being any contradiction um, Uh between the two. And so I think we, when we have, when we get scared about questions like that, what we need to do is sort of go deeper into, into Galatians and stuff and not run away from it. Sure. Like, because Paul's been thinking about all this stuff too. Right. Well, I think in some cases, our definition and understanding of godliness itself is perhaps what is suspect. Because we have this idea of godliness mm. being something that is <laughs> our present day version of something more akin to what the Pharisees were doing to the, to the Torah in, in, in their day. Yeah, yeah, and often it's often it's sort of uh, almost as much cultural as it is right. biblical. Yeah, and uh, and so this, of course, so this actually brings our our situation uh, again close to what was going on in Galatians in one sense, in that some of our <laughs> some of the reason why um, we have trouble maybe with Christians who are different is not biblical, but cultural, mm. right? And and I think Paul would say when he says there's no Greek or Jew, right? No mm. bond or free, no this or that. You're all one in Messiah Jesus. And, and sometimes, so I think Paul would be very, very, very upset um, if he saw anyone using their cultural practices or heritage, which is good in itself, mm-hmm. um, as something to sort of a boundary marker um, to, to separate other groups of Christians. Right. So the church is supposed to be the one, the church is supposed to be the place where people who would ordinarily have nothing to do with each other come together as fully accepted people, mm-hmm. be, built ar- around trusting in Jesus and having the Spirit. 
So right. anytime we sort of move away from that, given uh, because of cultural practices or whatever, um, I think Paul would say that that is minimizing sort of some of the the very key parts mm. of the gospel. And again, the first century Jews had a lot more good reasons to do it than we do. Sure. Right? Because there, if there was any, quote, biblical culture, it was that one. Right. Not ours. <laughs> sure. But then what, what would you say to someone that would say that their cultural practices are, are rooted very much in the teachings of Jesus, say, on the Sermon of the Mount, or even some of the teachings of Paul in the epistles, and would argue that their culture has been much more steeped in that than people around them? And use that as a way that um, a way of defending their position as not being only cultural, but also ultimately biblical. Well, I don't think so. Paul had no problem at all with Jewish people being circumcised mm. or Jewish people keeping kosher or anything like that. Like he was fine with that. He went to the temple and gave sacrifice, which is a little bit mind blowing, right? Yeah. Paul's not saying give up your cultural practices mm. necessarily. Well, sometimes he may be saying that, but. That's that's not so much the point as do not enforce them on other people as a standard of acceptance into the faith, right? Sure. Um, so it's 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 a bit absolutely a culture that has been Christian for a long time definitely has some practices that are better mm-hmm. than cultures who that haven't, right? Um, but we're just one small culture in thousands of years of church history. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, I think part of what Paul's, Paul's mission was to bring the Gentiles to the obedience of faith, right? Sure. And part of what is unique about Christianity is that that's going to play out differently in different places. And we have to, we have to understand that it's beautiful for that to work out in our own culture in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. But it's also beautiful for that to work out in another culture in slightly different ways. And it's even more beautiful when those two cultures can come together and not shed their cultural practices necessarily, sure. but recognize that the unity there's a unity between uh, between those two cultures mm-hmm. um, based around Jesus. So I think we still come back to the issue of of things that of needing to separate things from merely being cultural practices and things that are actually prescribed in the Bible. To use maybe an example that I think is. Relatively non-controversial, something like divorce and remarriage, right? Where um, certainly there'd be some groups that would say, "Well, that's just more of a cultural thing that your your people would practice." Whereas I don't think, no, yeah, I would not put that in a cultural, right? No. So then I guess the question comes, maybe for people who are listening, wondering, okay, so what's how do we know what goes in this cultural practice bracket? And what is something that actually is not that? Because there, there are plenty of teachings in the New Testament um, that we do want to be following that I don't think we just put under the cultural practice category and yet might not be things, um, especially based on what Paul is saying here, that we would want to separate or, or draw unnecessary walls around other people who aren't practicing. Right. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> those are, these are a complicated set of questions. And I think more important than getting all the answers to them is really wrestling with what Paul is trying to get at and what he's thinking and, and stuff like that. And then slowly over time, 
thinking through. So what what is what? How does this sort of interface with my world? Right. But that's a slow process. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think people are. I'm I'm only mentioning it because I think people are very quickly sensitive when they hear things about cultural practices because there there's kind of this idea. Well, once you once you admit that some things are merely cultural practices, it's this Pandora's box, and anything anything else can be thrown in that category. And next thing you know, you're going to think that, you know, again, divorce and remarriage, well, that was just the cultural teaching of the time that Jesus gave to right. his disciples. Yeah. I think people have this fear of once we acknowledge that anything is in that category, then we're kind of opening it up to everything. And as long as we say Jesus is the son of God, then we're all one happy family. And exactly. And everything can, else is Yeah, good. and you can so, can't you so see the Paul's opponents saying that right. some of those very things, yeah. right? And, and even worse, because these like these Gentile people, I mean, some of them had been around in the synagogue maybe for a while, but these guys had very, very um, colorful backgrounds, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and you can easily, and if you look at it, some of the other letters in the New Testament, like First Corinthians, you know, there's stuff going on in their churches that, right. that is like, it's just wild, exactly. right? It's like a, it's a real, it's a real chore to make these pagan Gentile people like, into good moral yeah. Christians, right? Right. Um, and so you can easily see how the opponents would be like, dude, they, like <laughs> if you if you don't have Torah that mm-hmm. you, that they're bound to, you, what, where's going to be the boundaries? Like, right. how are they going to know what to do and what not to do? But it's that that Paul says, absolutely not. Like, yes, they absolutely need instruction, and they absolutely need to walk in holiness and godliness and reject. You know, sexual immorality and all these things. Mm-hmm. But for Paul, the gospel itself and the being brought into the new creation age and the community of the church and stuff and the instruction of scripture is going to guide them in mm-hmm. that, in that way. Right. So, um, I think we need to be careful if we feel that our, our feelings <laughs> lie more closely aligned with Paul's opponents than with Paul. We should, you know, Think, step back and right. I think about that a little bit. Sure. So my next my next big question here um, in Galatians three is so uh, he started off with this interesting question about receiving the Spirit and that launched this whole discussion that we that we just had. Hmm. But he ends that paragraph saying, you know, does he so does he supply the Spirit to you and works miracles? Does he do it by works of Torah or by hearing with faith? And then he says. Just as Abraham, quote, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So my next question is, why is Abraham here? Mm. Um, and why is he in Romans right. in a similar place? And I think there's more to it than often we're told. Next podcast? Yep. All right. <laughs>